Hello, and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. With your host, Kenneth Bokor. This is episode 56, recorded on February 23rd, 2024. This episode of the EV Revolution Show is sponsored by File Sanctuary. Need a great web host for your business? Need to get email at yourdomain.com? They provide professional, feature-rich web and email hosting for any project you have in mind. Get started today at filesanctuary.net forward slash cloud and save 10% with promo code EVREVSHOW. All right, and thanks for tuning in to this edition of the EV Revolution Show. My name is Kenneth Bocor, your host, as you heard. Always exciting to be scouring the electrification and marketplace landscape to talk to smart people out there. And uh, my guest is certainly up in that club. Uh, I'm talking to Mr. Cedric Smith. He's the Director of Transportation for Pollution Probe. They are a Canadian organization that has recently um, done a survey uh, talking about 2023 consumer EV charging experiences, a very comprehensive sur- survey highlighting the trends and challenges in Canada's electric vehicle charging infrastructure. So it kind of reveals what EV owners' experiences and priorities are. Welcome, Cedric, to the program. Happy to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much, Ken. I'm really excited to be on this uh, on this podcast. Excellent. And, uh, you know, as I said, I mean, as we said just before I press the record button, it's always informative. I like to keep my listeners informed of the reality of the marketplace, right? I'm not trying to sugarcoat it or fluff it. If there's pain points, we need to address them. If there's great points, we need to highlight them, you know, and everything in between. So, uh, so I think this, you know, this is a timely study. I know a lot of the barriers, the reactions that I get when talking to consumers, in the many things that I do, some of those barriers are concerns about charging infrastructure and then the the whole experience about charging as we see more EVs being adopted. Canada is a great country to, to talk about because it's really a microcosm of what's going on in other parts of the world as they spool up EV adoption too. So, you know, what's happening here is going to be very similar to UK, to other uh, parts of Europe, to, to parts of the United States as a whole as well. Um, so I think it's a really relevant conversation. So let me start by asking you, you know, who are you guys? What are you guys all about? And what was kind of the impetus to get this survey and study going? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm uh, Director of Transportation with uh, with Pollution Probe. Uh, Pollution Probe is one of uh, Canada's oldest uh, nonprofits. We were uh, started uh, about 50 years ago um, in the 1960s by uh, University of Toronto professors. And uh, we've sort of um, evolved over time since then, and we've tackled a number of issues. And you know, some of the progress that we've made took uh, you know decades to achieve. So that longevity has been healthy there. Uh, but what we really try to achieve is uh, clean air, clean water, and a healthy planet. Um, so we have a couple of different verticals that we look into. Uh, the, uh, the first is water. So we you know we look at the Great Lakes, and you know how can we clean up the Great Lakes. Um, we also look at uh, you know air, and um, you know how can we reduce pollution within the air as well. Uh, we have an energy program that looks at sort of how can we uh, decarbonize the grid and how can we sort of move towards clean energy in Canada. And then the last one, which is sort of most relevant to this podcast, is, uh, is the transportation program. Um, and the transportation program looks at, you know, how can we reduce the uh, greenhouse gas emissions that come from vehicles? And how can we also reduce sort of some of those other, you know, side 
emissions, uh, the air pollutants, um, which are sort of so damaging to to human health and the environment. And um, you know, as part of uh, as part of that effort to try to decarbonize and try to clean up the transportation system, uh, we're really interested in electric vehicles. We want to see more electric vehicles. Uh, being driven by Canadians, more Canadians behind the wheel of these vehicles because they obviously, you know, as you know, have zero tailpipe emission. And one of the things that uh, that is quite important to uh, increasing uh, the uptake of uh, electric vehicles by Canadians is a strong uh, charging uh, network and strong charging infrastructure across the country. And we're really pleased with uh, with the work that the Canadian government has done uh, to build out um, a strong and effective charging infrastructure network across the country. And uh, we just want to see, uh, you know, continued progress in the right direction and building on those existing strengths. Absolutely. So I'm uh, just going to add, so this is, you know, uh, as I said, we're very progressive and starting to move forward, you know, after uh, after some years. And, uh, yeah, we're constantly seeing announcements about increased charging infrastructure at all levels from federal to provincial, municipal to private industry. Um, and and so forth. So it, it you know continues to grow. And I think one thing that consumers fail to recognize is actually the depth and breadth of the charging infrastructure as it sits today, and the momentum that it's going. Because they're not as typically as predominant visually as gas stations are. We're so used to seeing a gas station in almost in every corner. There's you know go five blocks and you'll stumble into a Petro Canada. You know anywhere in, in most populated areas of Canada. So. Um, they're all over the place, but you know there actually is more charging than that people think, and it does continue to grow at a pace. And certainly, you know the Canadian federal government has hit has put out pretty ambitious targets for zero emission vehicles by 2035, for all sales to be 100. percent It's a very hard target. I don't know if we're going to get there personally, but I think we need to set goals and try our best. So, you know, I'm very happy to hear that your your take on that as well as you guys have looked at this landscape. I know you got some some NRCAN grant money to do this study. You partnered with an organization as well. And it's really just to kind of put a flag in the ground and say, this is what we see. This is where we at, are at now, correct? Exactly, yeah. So, um, you know, this report is all about, you know, celebrating the successes that, that we've had so far and uh, really identifying ways, you know, how can we build on that strong foundation that we have already? Uh, so, for example, you know, like you said, really strong federal uh, targets towards zero emission vehicles. And, and like you mentioned, that that target for, you know, um, 100% zero emission vehicles by, by 2035, so important. And then also, you know, to complement that, we've also seen the federal government have uh, a target permanent zero emission vehicle infrastructure program, which, which builds these public chargers in sort of these public locations. Um, they're aiming to support about 90,000 electric vehicle chargers. Um, so, you know, really strong targets. And, and we really think that uh, that that those efforts on, on behalf of the federal government and, and some efforts on behalf of the provincial governments as well um, are really important um, and, and really helpful. Yeah, before we get into the, the results of the study and some of the, the findings and insights, um, just want to remind listeners that you know, I, I mean, I'm just I'm just stating this from the obvious because I'm out talking to people and I'm involved in, you know, EV Society of Canada. I'm involved in Tesla Owners Club of Ontario. I do a ton of public outreach and events, talk to people. I do EV 101 talks so out there. I'm not just doing my YouTube channel, doing car reviews and doing audio podcasts like here, but I'm actually, you know, talking uh, at the ground level to people. I'm on radio answering questions and media stuff. So. Uh, and, and, you know, the consistent thing that I hear is that a lot of people are, are saying, well, you know, we can't get 
I mean, you know, we can't get more EVs on the road because there's not enough EV charging infrastructure and we need like 500,000 chargers to get to where we are or whatever that number is. And that might be a fact and we will get there over time. But I think people t tend to forget that about 80%, maybe even more, but certainly a majority of EV owners charge at home. They have that ability to charge somehow at home, whether it be through just a 15 amp, you know, 110, 120, or putting in a level two at home. And that's that's the majority of their charging experiences is home. So your study doesn't even reflect any home charging, right? You're just looking at infrastructure that was out there, correct? Well, so we, we do ask, we do ask, okay. Um, okay. We do ask uh, sort of our, our, our um, you know, the, the people that we surveyed, we, we asked them sort of, you know, to what extent do you actually rely on public charging? Because mm -hmm. um, we do think that's important. And you, you raised a really important point there, Ken, about, you know, a lot, the majority of public, the majority of charging that, that people do does happen at home. Um, so our our survey results, again, we asked them to what extent do you rely on the public charging stations? And we found that 96% um, of EV owners do use public charging stations to some extent. Mm -hmm. uh, but about uh, more than half of them rely on public stations for only a small portion of their charging needs. So it's sort of less than 10%. Um, so yeah, you're exactly right about that. Excellent. And um, uh, so let, let's go into some of those those findings. We don't need to actually go through every question that you asked, but just to kind of summarize, you know, um, what you found on that, I think you, th there were some interesting findings that, and some insights that you have. And I guess, the first one is um, the charging behavior. What did you guys find about that? So, so as I said before, and I, I gave you some some uh, insights on uh, on sort of the extent to which uh, consumers rely on public charging, um, but then also, um, you know, to what extent uh, were respondents did they have sort of access to to a charger? Um, so, again, this uh, this sort of uh, broke down according to sort of where they resided. Um, so it, it, there was a real difference between people who resided in a single-family home and who had that sort of dedicated parking lot and had that access to a home charger. Um, so 98% uh, of the people who resided in those areas um, had access to a charger at home, um, whereas uh, you know those uh, those people with uh, who didn't reside in a single-family home with dedicated par parking, sort of those people who were in like low-rise apartments, high-rise apartments. Um, they um, they were much less likely to have access to charging at home. Uh, we saw that people who commute to work, uh, about 43% had access to a workplace charger as well. Uh, so there is some workplace charging that's happening as well. For that's actually a surprisingly high number. Uh, I'm very, very pleased with that number, yeah, of workplace. Okay. And I think also, um, I mean, obviously we know that there's an urban need for charging, right? Because of, you know, uh, high development, high density, medium density, on-street parking in major cities, right? About 80% of Canada's population folks, if you're not aware of the country, live within a couple hundred kilometers of the U.S. border. So we're all very southernly focused as a population. Yes, there's there's population way up north and in, in, in outer areas, but, you know, the main mass appeal for EV adoption is going to be in that 80%, 90% of the population within that that swath that I described. So, and within that, there's a lot of major cities and we know that more needs to be done to try to help those folks in those higher, uh, medium and high density areas to get access to charging. But, you know, as you just said, Cedric, you know, a lot of the respondents on that survey, I think you sampled um, about 1500 owners, if I'm not mistaken, from, from across exactly. Canada. Yep, exactly. Yes. And that in a high percentage of that sampling had access to some sort of home or workplace charging, right? Exactly. Yeah. 
Um, and then, you know, a couple of other things, uh, you know, to talk about in terms of charging behavior. Um, so we, we found, for example, that, um, you know, about two thirds of respondents um, owned at least one sort of traditional gas car in addition to their electric vehicle. Um, and so there's speculation that, you know, they might, they might feel like if they want to go on a long distance trip, they can rely on that. Uh, that being said, we did also, um, we did also talk to them about, uh, to what extent do you take long distance trips with your EV and you know how long do you go with your EV because that's you know very important in terms of um, the public charging infrastructure and the need for it um, so we found that about 80% uh, of respondents have an EV with a range of at least 300 kilometers um, and about two-thirds uh, report driving an average of less than 60 kilometers per day um, so that indicates you know people have these EVs with pretty long ranges but don't always use them um, that being said, you know, there are some people using uh, EVs for their long distance trips. We found about 40% uh, take sort of a long distance trip that's more than 200 kilometers one way, at least once per month. So there's, you know, there, the range anxiety seems to be maybe, um, you know, decreasing to some extent. People are, you know, starting to align their EVs a bit more for those those longer trips. Yeah, I mean, those are all those are great points. And actually, you know, very much to my expectation level. So I'm glad that you're kind of substantiating with facts, you know, what, what I'm guessing that, the, the you know, the what the layout is of the, that landscape of the charging behavior. Absolutely right. You know, I hear this all the time while well, I need more range and I'm going, well, what's your daily range, daily driving, ah, 50, 60, 70 kilometers. Well, you know that pretty well everything out there. Even the new Fiat uh, 500e that's coming to Canada starting to ship this year that has 240 kilometers of range will still be good enough for a daily driver for most people uh, that drive around, you know, at a very affordable price. So, so you know, hearing those stats about, you know, what's predominant in the behavior is no surprise to me. And pretty well the baseline for EVs now, and I'm sure you can agree, Cedric, is, you know, most of them are coming with four, 450, 500 kilometer ranges, you know, the high 300s. I mean, it's easy now to get pretty well any EV uh, that has that kind of quality of range. And most of them are supporting much faster charging speeds, you know, in excess of 100 kilowatts. So to, to you know to make those those DC fast charging road trip experiences much more pleasant and timely and and also I am seeing a lot of people and I'm glad you brought that up um, you know you look at, at getting an EV as a secondary vehicle so adopting an EV getting used to charging getting used to the behaviors because you do have to change your behavior right especially in all electric it is something that you have to kind of think about a little bit more it gets to the point where you know you don't think uh, you know in my family we just got rid of our second vehicle which was a nice vehicle i have a model three we just got a 23 kia soul uh, ev for our daughter we have no gas now in the, in the family anymore and because we're not concerned you know we're used i got used to where chargers are, what the needs are. If we need a long trip, we can take it in the Tesla. If we really need to go somewhere and there's not going to be a charging infrastructure, then to your point, I'll just rent a gas car for a week or whatever, right? Why carry all that that cost all year round if I only need it sporadically? So it's interesting that that you've uh, you know you've come to those conclusions um, uh, in your study there. And uh, anything you want to add to the behavior before we move on to the next one about the the charging networks? Yeah, and you know, I think this uh, this sort of um, this answer does does sort of you know verge into the network as well. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, just as you said, you know, and I think you talked about um, you know charging behavior on sort of those longer distance trips, and so we found that um, you know about less than half of uh, EV owners in Canada will take sort of those indirect trips uh, or indirect routes in order to access charging infrastructure. You know, maybe they don't go the exact route that they would go on in a gas car; they might veer off. 
a little bit. Um, <clears throat> this is a bit less in Quebec, which obviously has that, you know, very strong circuit electric um, network um, relative to other provinces. Absolutely. And just to close off that that category, you know, what you talked about, uh, people starting to venture out on longer trips, you know, like once a month is a very encouraging sign. But because, again, I feel that once once people get into an all electric and they start understanding what it's all about, start living that experience, they become less anxious about it and more purposeful in using the vehicle for what they want to do and they find out hey i can do a lot more with this than i thought i could as long as you plan and you know look at what's available from an infrastructure if you are going uh you know as you said in excess of 200 kilometers on these road trips um it takes a little bit of planning but people i think are becoming more comfortable that's what i see in, in that what you what you said there anyway absolutely yeah great and very encouraging um, now, network coverage satisfaction, you talked about that, you know, a little bit with Quebec leading in that. Obviously, you know, they're one of the progressive provinces here when it comes to EV adoption and, and you know, meeting. I mean, they've got 100% hydroelectric. They've got more power they could shake a stick at. So they're all in. And it's no surprise that they have quite a varied and substantial infrastructure that just continues to grow at a rapid pace to support their rapid adoption. But, you know, can you drill down a little bit more on what your findings were for the network coverage satisfaction? Because that's always a bit of a tumultuous area where it can be hit and miss, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so in terms of uh, satisfaction with sort of the, the coverage of these stations, um, so, so like you said, again, uh, EV owners in Quebec are were sort of the most satisfied with the coverage of uh, public charging stations, although even them, it was less than 50% satisfaction. Um, and in general, sort of, uh, we see um, a bit less satisfaction for fast charging station coverage than for, for sort of level two charging station coverage. Uh, we saw Ontario and British Columbia come in second in terms of satisfaction, where about one in five EV owners were, were relatively satisfied with the coverage of, of the network. And in other provinces, it was only about one in 10 satisfaction. So a bit of work to be done, maybe in the rest of the provinces. But, uh, you know, uh, we've, we've come we've come far so far, and um, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll continue improving over time. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, how important is actually, you know, the charging station coverage on the EV purchase decision? You know, we we talk to EV owners about this as well, and you know, like you said, um, uh, about eighty uh, percent of people have um, an EV charger at home. Uh, so we saw that, like a little bit over fifty percent of EV owners across provinces uh, stated that the availability of public chargers in, in areas that they frequently go to impact their decision to purchase an EV. Um, and this was uh, sort of most pronounced in Ontario. And in Ontario, people really do want um, do want those those public chargers close to those those useful amenities. Um, in terms of coverage on, on long distance trips, um, you know, I already talked to you about that, um, so I won't go too much into detail about that. But again, sort of forty percent of EP owners, you know, need to take those indirect routes. Um, so how does this break down by income? Um, so uh, the uh, the decision by sort of lower income EV owners to purchase an EV is a little bit less influenced uh, by the availability of chargers compared to higher income EV owners. Um, and then for Tesla and non-Tesla owners, and, and this is something we see a lot across our results, is that there's often a different breakdown for Tesla owners versus non-Tesla owners. Uh, we saw that 33% of Tesla owners um, report having to take those indirect trips. Um, compared to a much higher, nearly 50% for owners of other EVs, which again goes to show that that sort of stronger Tesla network rather than the network for other types of EVs. 
Um, and then we also ask people, you know, where do you want to see these uh, these chargers placed? Um, so uh, in terms of level two chargers, you know, this, uh, people want these placed in, in areas where they, they park for extended periods, maybe three or more hours, um, <clears throat> where they can really get like a serious amount of charge out of a level two charger, you know, they can for a decent amount of time. Um, so these include retail centers, hotels, motels, campgrounds, um, other kinds of recreational destinations. And then, you know, as you might expect with TCFC chargers, people want these in areas where they don't really have that much time to hang around. Um, you know, they don't really want to spend a huge amount of time, you know, on the side of the highway, uh, maybe only, you know, 20 minutes or so. Um, they don't want to spend too much time at gas stations. Um, so, you know, areas where, you know, it's, it's maybe less than three hours that they want to spend, uh, hang around there, um, where we're sort of a shorter, shorter pause, or so to speak. And then retail centers was another area sort of identified as as um, an area where they'd like a, a DCFC charger. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's all it's all makes common sense. And, you know, it sounds like from the findings there on the coverage and the service satisfaction that, you know, there's still work to be done there. So it's, it, you know, it's no doubt that, you know, the, the early um, organizations that were putting out, especially on the DC fast charger side, um, you know, have had challenges in trying to maintain that equipment and grow them and scale them to 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 the more frequent use that we're seeing as more EVs are on the road. So if I pick on Electrified Canada as an example, because I hear a lot about them, um, you know, it's not uncommon to go to any one of their outlets and and potentially find one of their stalls down or or problematic. It might take you two or three tries to get it going to get the comms going. I know, and I've talked to their CEO many times, they're great people there. They are working to revamp and upgrade the entire infrastructure, but it takes time and capital to do that. Um, so it's a big job. And other players are doing the same thing, like Petro. You know, Ivy seems to be fairly stable now if, if we're focusing on Canada, especially in Ontario with their 2.0. So I think it's getting better. Um, but it sounds like when you're talking about one in four, you know, this kind of stuff, we still have a ways to go, correct? Yeah, um, and and again, you know, I think I think we've come a long way, but um, you know, there's a, there's always opportunities to to increase the reliability of the charging network, and uh, we're seeing that you know EV owners are still you know a bit worried about how reliable are these public charging stations. They're a bit worried about you know to what extent is it possible that I might be stranded um, in my vehicle when I'm out there. Um, and again, in Quebec, you know, the satisfaction and, and these fears are, are a bit, uh, the satisfaction is higher and the fears are, are a bit lower. So in Quebec, about one in five EV owners complained about uh, stations being out of service. Um, and about 30% were uh, concerned about being stranded uh, due to these stations being out of service, like you said. And then those numbers were, were quite a bit higher in other provinces, sort of approaching about 50% in those other provinces. Um, you know, if you break that down by Tesla and non-Tesla, again, you know, Tesla owners, you know, again, more confident, um, you know, more reliable um, in their charging experience. Uh, so uh, Tesla owners, um, you know, only about 30% of them were concerned about ch charging stations being out of owner out of service. And again, it's above 50% for owners of other types of EVs. Um, and then, um, you know, in the, this last little point, you know, it's, it's maybe slightly less reliability focused, but... Uh, consistency of the power supply. So um, over 50% of EV owners across Canada feel that uh, the power supply of charging stations is, is inconsistent. Yeah, very interesting. And I've experienced that myself. So, you know, a couple things to, to, to follow up on. So it's no surprise on the Tesla statements. And in fact, I would, I would, I would hope that with increased education, that that percentage of Tesla owners that are concerned about the, the Tesla chargers 
will go a lot lower because uh, Tesla pr pretty well has the highest service level uh, excellence uh, in the industry as far as charging goes. And the key there is because they they build, they own, and they operate their own their network as a business unit, and they have that integration with the vehicles, which is the secondary plus. But you know, I know a lot of people, including myself, when I decided to upgrade for my 2018 Nissan Leaf, which was a great car, but you know, 240 kilometers range at the best of times, you know, 140, 150, 130 in the winter, and I do a lot of driving uh, for large areas. I need something more, and and my decision to get the Model Three was primarily driven on the uh, on the point of having that Tesla supercharging infrastructure there, which they continue to grow. And, and just deploy uh, uh, daily, you know, weekly, daily. There's new ones coming up, so they're kind of like the Walmart of charging, right? They're just they just do it big, you know. If they build a station, there's 12, 16, 20, whatever, you know. Not like an Electrify Canada or a Petro Canada that might build four stalls or with eight plugs or three with six plugs, and ones will be a Chatamo because we still have to support that. So, so you'll the odds that you'll find a working Tesla supercharger is a lot higher than some of the others. Um, but, you know, it's good to hear that people have the concerns. Now, would have you guys made any recommendations based on these surveys? So would, as an example, would one recommendation maybe have the federal or provincial governments kind of regulate that industry a little harder so that they can provide, get them to provide service level guarantees as a minimum? But do you think that that's a good idea? I know we'll get to the, to the end, but I'm just I'm curious because I, I've said this a few times to other groups that are looking at this, even to you know some of the other industries, and you know maybe that is something that the government needs to do on a policy framework is to you know and through incentives somehow to these providers, like you know put some skin in the game, but get them to to build these infrastructures with with equipment that has much higher reliability and uptime guarantees, whatever that level is. To, to address the point that you made earlier, Cedric, about a lot of consumers yeah. having, you know, lack of confidence in these things, either with power fluctuations or that I'm going to, I'm going to be stranded or it's going to work or not work. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, so some of our, our some of our regulations sort of, sort of, as you said, uh, sort of some of our recommendations, as you said, are mm -hmm. around, uh, you know, the, the reliability of, of the uh, yeah. power charging network. Um, so, so one of them, for example, we recommend that uh, we establish regulation that, that mandates uh, network operators maintain a minimum <clears throat> station uptime, uh, mm -hmm. which can reduce um, the the degree to which there are out of service stations, um, and that would just sort of you know again increase that uh, that confidence by by consumers in uh, the public charging network, um, and uh, make them more confident that if they go out on those long distance trips, that they're uh, that they're going to be able to find a, a station that uh, that can meet their needs and, and provide them with the power that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, and then again, in terms of that uh, that inconsistent uh, power supply, um, <clears throat> we're recommending that uh, universal billing standard be put in place with uh, in terms of units of energy, uh, sort of kilowatt hours across locations, um, in order to offer sort of transparent and, and straightforward charging costs. Um, and you know, uh, obviously, there's uh, there's a concern that people might uh, stay plugged in to their uh, charging stations for maybe longer if they're if they're billed uh, according to kilowatt hours as opposed to a quarter to time. Um, so that's why we're recommending financial penalties potentially uh, to ensure EV uh, do not remain plugged in once they're uh, once they're fully charged. 
Yeah, excellent. And, you know, we've already seen that movement as well, where where there's you know, pushing a time of, uh, you know, a, a, a not time of use, uh, but uh, the amount of power that you're pulling versus the time that you're sitting there because it needs to be equal. So we've seen a lot of the a lot of those charging providers adopt that and it continues to roll out. So I think that standard is moving. Certainly some sort of SLAs from an uptime need to be probably pushed a little harder. And I know that the manufacturers and the providers are working on upgrading and, and getting better equipment to to handle um, that type of reliability and, uh, and and functionality and also again the, the charging standard for sure uh, obviously more vehicles now coming out are adopting the plug and charge standard so the comm side of it the vehicles are now coming with their hardware and software um, uh, ready so that they can they can use these plug these char, uh, standards where you just plug it in and everything is set up you know everything's secured all your information is in you know in the car it talks to the charging provider whoever that is it could be an ivy it could be a petrocan it could be a electrified canada and it just goes it just happens maybe you need an app to intervene sometimes you do sometimes you don't it's a little bit different more like the tesla experience where you just plug in walk away and or do whatever and then come back so that's that's coming and i think the final thing as well that will help um, consumers erase more concerns about uh public charging is the adoption of nacs standard right because that will just now streamline both the cable management side because as you probably know cedric a ccs cable in in the winter is a pretty uh hard beast to handle if you're trying to plug it into something it's heavy it's cold it's it's really hard to handle so the the slimmer designs of the nacs protocol and, and the physicality of their plugs will make that experience easy for consumers. It'll open, obviously they'll get open access to superchargers, right, through their app and through that that commonality. And that'll just help satisfy the charging needs. Have you, did you bring in any of that to your equation as well? Yeah, so, you know, and then this goes into sort of our, our payment methods um, uh, research. Um, so, um, you know, obviously <clears throat> with Tesla, you have this plug and charge um, method of payment. Um, where I think, you know, as you said, uh, the Tesla plug and charge method, um, you know, this is where users uh, have that sort of seamless experience and uh, they don't really even need to use the app on their smartphone or a physical card. Uh, the uh, station itself sort of automatically identifies that vehicle, bills the EV owner on their credit card. Um, although, of course, they have that option of, of using the app to verify that, that charging session. Um, and we saw that 71% uh, of Tesla owners currently pay through the plug and charge payment method. Um, while um, payment methods are, are sort of more distributed for, for non-Tesla owners, um, with about 30% paying through network mobile apps, about 30% paying through multiple methods, 15% through network RFID cards, um, you know, a lot of different methods. Yeah, bit of a um, wild west still a little bit there, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a bit more, a bit more diversified and spread out, um, and uh, you know, we we gave our EV owners sort of that option of selecting their preferred pay, payment method, and um, you know, most Tesla owners uh, prefer to continue with that that plug and charge payment method, um, whereas only uh, twenty four percent of non Tesla owners uh, preferred using their smartphone to to pay. Um, you know, if you looked at uh, non Tesla owners. Um, they generally prefer to pay through credit or debit cards. Uh, but again, like you said, there's that standardization of coming up. 
And so we really feel that um, it'll be important to sort of again look at these uh, look at these results in terms of preferred payment methods um, after that standardization comes into place, and after those sort of non-Tesla owners have that opportunity to use that different type of uh, charging method, and uh, see if anything changes uh, over time. Um, but yeah, and in general, you know, we're we're really happy about the standardization. Uh, we think it's uh, we think it's great that uh, that more people are getting access to uh, to the strong network and. Uh, and the benefits that that'll bring. So a lot of you know positive changes that have that have, have happened in the charging infrastructure landscape and will continue to happen. So you know for for listeners out there that are contemplating EVs, that one of their concerns is charging infrastructure and anxiety around that. I think from what you've heard, you know, Cedric and I talk about today and their findings. I think that that's you know your findings are very supportive that. There have been some some great improvements in this infrastructure. Uh, obviously, regional you know, by by different regions, some some farther advanced than others. But in, in summary, then Cedric, would you say that overall that the charging experience for most um, Canadians in those populated areas is is a more positive session, and they should they should feel confident in a higher level of reliability and, and being able to do that, or is it still kind of a 50-50 kind of wait and see. What's what's your final take on that? I think there, there are a lot of reasons for for EV owners across Canada to be be confident in their their charging network. Um, in particular, you know, they there is uh, there is a government that's really you know committed to uh, to building out a charge strong uh, charging network across the country and uh, also to you know continue building on the strengths that that exist to to make that experience better for for owners um, you know over time. Um, there's really just a huge increase in, in the number of charging stations that we've seen, both uh, DCFC and Level 2. Um, just from 2021 to 2022, there was already a big jump. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's, it's strong already and it's getting better all the time. So, uh, again, I think there are a lot of reasons to be confident. Well said, well said. And, you know, uh, and th- I think that's the key takeaway for listeners today. And, you know, similar actions and similar movements probably happening. If you're not here in Canada, if you're listening from somewhere else, they're probably happening in your region as well. But you do need to dig into that and see what's going on. Some, like in parts of Europe, are much farther ahead than we are. You know, Norway, as an example, which has 90% EV adoption. I mean, you know, they, they've gone gangbusters. So, you know, check your region and see where you are. But certainly, I can tell you from my personal experience in EV ownership since 2018, and I put about 50,000 kilometers on my, my Nissan Leaf. I've got 80,000 now on my Model 3 in, in, in about three and a half years. So in that five years of, of uh, driving an all-electric with uh, 130,000 or whatever the math is of kilometers, I think I've had a problematic charging experience three times. That's it. And uh, none of those experiences prohibited me from charging the vehicle. They were either very slow due to whatever, faulty equipment that was substandard, affected by weather, or heavy loads. You know, one of my first superchargers on a long trip was, it was just a hot summer day. It was one of their first supercharging deployments that Tesla did in Ontario. And it was full of, of, of people traveling because uh, it was the summer holidays. And we were all regulated to a slower than normal charge. We still got our charge, but it just took longer. And all we did was go eat as opposed to not eat. I mean, we was right around. So, you know, and again, and I, so I fast, and that's just fast charging experience. I probably fast charge 
you know, at least two or three dozen times in in that time period, maybe four dozen. And again, my experience is just a, a couple examples where it's been problematic, but it, I've still been able to get a charge. So I think, you know, that what you just said, Cedric, of the movement that the industry has gone just in the short years since 2020, 2021, and where it continues to go, I think that that listeners and, and consumers that are thinking about EVs can feel, can have that degree of confidence, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. You know, so I'm glad that, that you guys spent the time to kind of quantify, dissect a little bit, you know, get some analysis and and help to bring shed more light on really what the reality is for the Canadian uh, char- EV charging infrastructure and landscape. Because, again, you know, almost weekly, I'll, I'll come across a headline that will be negative or that will have somebody complaining about something. And then people think that that's a general uh, issue across the country. And yeah, I mean, y- yes, you can get stranded. There's no doubt about that. It can happen to you. I don't know anybody in in talking to the, the hundreds of people that I have that have gotten stranded, but it could happen. But again, it's like, you know, when you're, you're traveling with gas, if you're going to take a road trip, you're going to make sure you stop and fuel when you need to. Uh, just like in EVs, your root plan and, you know, apps like plug and share. I don't know if you even if you guys even talked about that, but these are great apps to not only help plan out a route. If you're not if you're you know, your in car navigation doesn't doesn't justify it enough for you. The good thing about these apps is that they provide public feedback and ratings on a lot of charging infrastructure. So you can kind of get if you're going to plan a route out and somebody's saying, well, this charger is like 90 percent of the time it's problematic, then that will give you information to avoid it. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I think there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of room for people to sort of um, plan out their long distance trips and, and make sure that they're getting to, to those stations that, that have uh, those positive ratings from other EV owners as well. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I think you, you just said the key word there, planning your trip. And I think that's what EV owners need to do, regardless of what you're doing. If you're going to take trips that go beyond the initial range of that vehicle, uh, that, that initial charge, then you do need to do some planning. It's just the nature of that environment, right? Almost like driving with kids, right? You you know you're going to have to stop somehow, somewhere on this trip for, for how many times you're not sure. So there are lots of route planners you know, when you get used and comfortable to your EV about what the real range is, like winter versus summer, you know, find find out those extremes and you can be comfortable then in navigating that. You know, I know that my Model 3 is a great vehicle in the summer, pushing 400 plus kilometers easily. But in the winter, when it's minus 25, like I hear we're going to drop again tonight or something like that, we're going to get a cold spell. You know, hey, the range can go to 200, 250 kilometers, right? So I, I'm aware of that. And if I'm going to go somewhere, then I know accordingly that that's I have to plan it. So once you have that information, it really makes living with an EV uh, a non-anxiety event, right? You you become comfortable with that. Any final words in closing on what you guys uh, have accomplished here, and and are you looking to do something similar for twenty twenty four? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are actually uh, we're we're actually um, right now uh, already getting started on our our next iteration of our our survey uh, for twenty twenty four. I'm really hoping to you know provide sort of uh, we're not hoping to just replicate the results for for another year. We're hoping to provide you know interesting uh, new information and uh, new ways of sort of slicing and dicing uh, the data. Um, and we do think it's important that uh, you know these kind of surveys be conducted regularly so that we can sort of monitor how this charging experience is, is evolving over time and really 
uh, keep an eye on Canadians and, and their charging experiences. Uh, but overall, you know, I think it's a positive news story. You know, we I think we have a strong network and it's getting better all the time. And, uh, you know, like you said, uh, Ken, um, uh, there's a lot of room also for, for planning out your trip. So, um, so yeah, we really appreciate being on the show and um, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, me too. And, you know, again, folks, I've been talking to Cedric Smith, the Director of Transportation for Pollution Probe here in Ontario. Um, I'll have the links to the website, uh, pollution, actually pollutionprobe.org. You can check them out and see all kinds of fascinating information. And I'm sure that you'll you'll have other analysis about, you know, potential um, uh, greenhouse gas uh, emissions that are that are not going into the atmosphere because of EV adoption and, you know, power versus uh, provincially, you know, how the power systems uh, still deliver a very positive impact on climate change, even if they're coal driven, which we probably still have a little bit out there in Canada, certainly not in Ontario. So there's a lot of good facts that, that folks can find from pollutionprobe.org. Thank you very much for, again, for you and the team for doing an excellent analysis and for your time today. And I look forward to chatting with you, you know, sometime maybe later this year or early next year again on seeing what the findings come up. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, I'm taking it you guys are making recommendations to various level of governments on what you're, you're finding and that they enact those. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much, Ken. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks again for listening, folks. You can email me if you have comments. Email at evrevolutionshow at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at evrevshow. And if you uh, have any suggestions for shows, please let me know. Thanks again for listening, and please, everybody stay safe. And until the next time, I'll see you when I see you. Mm-hmm.